Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I am your host, George Mason, and I'm pleased to be joined for this conversation that we are calling Good Politics as part of that series of our podcast, uh, Sonia Miller. Uh, Sonia uh, is the Outreach and Faith Director for the Texas Freedom Network in uh, the state of Texas. And we're so delighted to welcome you, Sonia, and look forward to our conversation. Thank you, George. It's wonderful to be here today. Um, I am very impressed with your podcast, and it's an honor to be a guest with you today. Well, thank you. We've been working during this legislative session, actually, together on uh, issues of common concern, Faith Commons, and many other faith-based organizations in Texas in this sort of coalition that we've thrown together uh, that we've called the Better Texas Interfaith Coalition. And uh, you've brought uh, a number of important issues to us that we'll maybe uh, tease out a little bit later, but I'd like people to know, uh, first of all, about Texas Freedom Network, how it got started, what its priorities are, how you work, that sort of thing, and and your particular role in it. So could you uh, give us a little background? Perfect. I'd love to. I love talking about the Texas Freedom Network. The Texas Freedom Network was founded by Cecile Rogers in 1995. And it's the founding story is one that I find fascinating. Um, Cecile had finished working on her mom's gubernatorial race. And Ann Richards, by the way. Yes, yes Ann Richards. And found herself um, one day at a state board of education meeting. And in that meeting, the State Board of Education was discussing uh, what would be new textbooks for health education in the state of Texas. And I'm going to remind folks that this is 1994 we're Mm -hmm. talking about. And the debate that they were having amongst themselves was whether or not a picture of a woman carrying a briefcase could be in the health textbooks as an image of women uh, in 1994. I'll say it again. Um, and they, they did not want that image for K through 12 students or nine through 12 students in Texas. And, and Cecile was sitting there um, with a friend listening to this and, and had a napkin. And it's one of those stories where she writes on the napkin, this is so much worse than I imagined and passes it to her friend. And left that meeting and went to her living room and gathered her, uh, a cadre of progressive Texans um, that, that she knew and founded the Texas Freedom Network with its main goal to be the watchdog of the religious right in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, to, to speak out and gather folks uh, to speak against that kind of uh, religious narrative that was taking over in politics at all levels in the state in 94. And so that, that is where, that's kind of our birth story. Right. But, you know, at the same time, you are a faith-based organization uh, yourself in some ways, and you especially are working in the faith sector. It's not that Texas Freedom Network is altogether a faith-based network, but uh, so when, when we talk about countering the religious right, and its narrative that leads to public policy, uh, there is a counter narrative of people of faith of a more progressive nature. So it's not just about religion, is it? No. Well, you, let's start with you can't you can't counter 
the religious right. You can't be the watchdog of the religious right if you aren't going to organize the religious left, which we now call progressive people Mm -hmm. of faith. Um, And that that issue of countering the religious right led TFN to made three buckets of advocacy, public education, which is obvious because that's where it was founded, religious freedom Mm -hmm. and civil liberties are the three kind of big buckets of work that TFN was founded on. Mm-hmm. And then um, a lot of work, a lot of work was done 95 to 2013 in those areas. But in 2013, we had a time in our state politics around abortion that was brought thousands. Um, you may recall thousands of people to the Capitol uh, to oppose HB2, an omnibus abortion bill that would have limited access from over 40 clinics down to, you know, cutting it in half and possibly more. And that is the time in which Wendy Davis had their, had her infamous filibuster for 13 hours on the floor. Right. And TFN was instrumental in bringing a number of people of faith and particularly clergy uh, to the Capitol during that legislative session to testify, to write op-eds, to speak out, to participate in rallies. And uh, following that legislative session, which HB2 eventually passed, uh, a group of uh, clergy and uh, lay leaders came to Texas Freedom Network with the request that TFN help them create a way in which they could be engaged in changing the culture around um, abortion in particular in the state of Texas, realizing that what's going on in our culture really affects what happens in policy and in politics. And in the state, we only have that session every other year for six months. We're just about to the end of that right now. And this group of clergy and lay leaders wanted to be engaged in work year round because realizing that if we don't do the work all the time, we won't be able to affect change when it comes to particular bills that people are opposing or supporting either side. Mm -hmm. So Just Texas, Faith Voices for Justice was founded in 2014. And that's the part of TFN that uh, is now our faith organizing arm. So Sonia, as you try to build a coalition of faith leaders that have a vision of a more just Texas that tends to be a counter to the religious right, I think one of the questions for many sort of unsuspecting people in the pew, you might say, is does it always have to be left or right, right? Is it, is it just a matter of, okay, the religious right organize themselves and they have a vision of, of the world that they're trying to put into public policy. And, you know, we have to organize and you have to be doctrinaire on the left, in other words, if you're going to counter them. And so it's really an either or, we got, we got a binary choice. It's either going to be the, the progressive left wins or the religious right wins. Is it, I mean, it, how, how do you talk to people about getting involved that way when they're maybe their own um, 
appetite for this is not as um, starved to to win, so to speak, because they they're not they're not oriented. I think people of a mainline tradition, whether in um, Jewish, Christian, or other religious, they, they're not oriented toward battle. You might say they're, they're, they're they tend to want to be nice, right? To play nice. So what do you say to people about that? George, I absolutely love this question um, because I think it's what brought me into this work uh, because I am that person that you are. <laughs> uh, and I, I would never have imagined uh, myself being uh, working for a political advocacy organization. Uh, right. That was furthest from my mind. <clears throat> so I'll just step back a little bit in time to say I ended up in Austin after a career in public education and then also working um, as, a, as a contract person in the abortion world. Mm -hmm. I ended up in seminary at Austin Presbyterian Theological uh, Seminary mm -hmm. on my, I started on my 50th birthday. So wow. it, it's definitely a um, mid midlife career change for me. And um, as part of my need uh, to complete my degree, I had to uh, find a supervised practice in ministry. And because um, my own story, I just said I had a life in public education. So, so that public education is very important to me. I was both a teacher and a school administrator. Uh, I have worked in the abortion world and um, my sister-in-law is an abortion provider. So abortion uh, and access to choice and reproductive health care uh, is very important to me. And after uh, a long marriage, I had a divorce and I'm now married to my wife. So LGBTQ equality is very personal to me. Uh, I had several people tell me I needed to get to know the Texas Freedom Network because those are those are core issues for the Texas Freedom Network and that my own life completely intersected with the mission and vision uh, of Texas Freedom Network. So I got to this position by going to Texas Freedom Network and saying, how can I volunteer? And they said, how about we hire you? And so uh, I have done my supervised practice in ministry at the Texas Freedom Network. But I'm going to say in... Um, the first thing that comes to my mind when I, when I listen to you is that the personal is political and the political wow. is personal, right? And I can just share my own story to say, this is my lived experience mm -hmm. and my lived experience is in the political world, right? So those two things, to those of us who sit in the pew and say, I don't want to be left or right, um, I fully understand that. And I think um, the mission and what Just Texas is doing with our Reproductive Freedom Congregation designation really speaks to that because I, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about the designation in a minute, but we created a designation where we are asking congregations to create and hold space for really difficult conversations. Because I think in our political scene, when you say, you can be the left or the right. And in our culture, we're creating these silos where we talk at each other right. instead of with each other. Right. 
And I think as communities of faith, we have a a very special calling into that to say, we're going to create and hold space where we can talk with each other, where we can hear each other's stories, where we can see how my life and your life, although we may stand on different sides of the aisle, my life and your life do intersect. And And we at Just Texas really do believe that when we stop and hold that space and spend time sharing each other's stories, that our stories will ultimately drive the culture. Mm -hmm. The culture drives the politics. And on the bottom line, our faith affects all of it. Right. Right. So, you know, there's there's an old saying in um, business, I think, mainly business, that says... uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, (laughs) right? So you can sit in two or three day strategy meetings for your organization and say, here's our vision for what we want to do. And then you bring it back into the organization that has functioned in a certain other way over time. And the culture just eats it up. It just sabotages it at every point. So I think what you're saying is, this is not just about all of a sudden getting enough people to Austin to win a vote per se, but changing the way we relate to one another all year long in such a way that we might imagine the full humanity of the people on the other side and try to figure out how to live together. Yes, yes. You know, how do we create the world in which as individuals, we all want, right. as a community, then we create that world where everyone can flourish. Right. right. You know, I always think of that meme that goes around social media. It's not pie. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, but, say, say what that means, because I think that's an important thing. It's not pie. It's not pie. That, that when we are creating a society uh, where we can all flourish, there is enough. There is enough for all of us. It's not a pie where you slice it up and there's eight pieces or you could make 16 or 24, depending on how you cut it. Uh, But it's a limited supply. Eventually the pie is gone. Um, There is enough. And I think think that leads us to, as communities of faith, stepping out of a story of scarcity and into a story of abundance. All right. So let's let's maybe drive this home a little bit with a particular issue. And you mentioned abortion earlier, and we couldn't find probably a more culturally divisive issue for us, or politically divisive. Mm -hmm. And that's true in Texas, which has just passed the heartbeat bill, uh, so-called, which Governor Abbott has signed, which in its... um, in its practical application, effectively bans abortion under almost every circumstance because uh, it, it it says that um, the moment a, a heartbeat is, is discovered, then it criminalizes abortion uh, by providers and by the person who's seeking it and allows, in fact, uh, a, a, somebody from uh, 10 counties over to uh, turn you in and sue you for any participation in it. It's an extraordinary bill, isn't it? It, it is a draconian bill. Yes, <laughs> I will say it is. Um, it is a sweeping uh, uh, 
bill that, as you said, um, is attempting to uh, basically eradicate access to abortion in Texas. And um, yes, let's talk about how, how then do we as people of faith respond to that? Um, and so that's a, this is a perfect segue into talking about uh, just Texas designation for congregations as a reproductive freedom congregation. And it, it, that designation ties back to the belief that we can be doing something to change the long-term culture around abortion because there is a narrative that is very prevalent that is the quote-unquote faith narrative about abortion that says abortion is murder and in all circumstances you can't do that and that the Bible says we can't do that. Mm -hmm. um, the truth is abortion is never mentioned in the Bible. The Bible doesn't speak to the issue of abortion. Mm -hmm. um, there are scripture passages that we can look at and extrapolate, but, but it never actually talks about abortion. So our, our uh, reproductive freedom congregation designation is a way in which we are asking congregations to come together and create and hold the space within their own congregation to bring the stories of abortion and reproductive decision-making out of the shadows, because we don't talk about it. This right. is the thing we don't talk about. Right. Um, we don't talk about sex and we don't talk about politics, right? And those two things are at the heart of the abortion issue. Mm -hmm. And so we are asking congregations to create and hold that space, to bring those stories out of the shadows, free of shame, judgment, and stigma, so that we can listen to each other. George, one in three women, or one in four, depending on your age and when the statistics, you know, uh, one in three or one in four women, uh, younger women, one in four, uh, will have an abortion in their reproductive lives, which means in every congregation, the pews are filled right. with women who've had abortions or will have abortions. Right. And that statistic cuts across every demographic, every faith tradition, every, you know, so it's just a, a truth in our country. And those stories don't ever make it to the surface in our lives, in our congregations. Uh, women hold those stories in secret. I was in a, a, at a particular congregation in Dallas at the beginning of our launch for uh, reproductive freedom congregations. And I said, you know, those stories are held because of the shame, judgment, and stigma in our culture around abortion. And there was a man who said, there's no shame in abortion. There's shame in poverty. And I don't disagree with him. There is shame in poverty. But my response to him is, you know, we shame people. You know, there isn't shame. We shame people uh, in our culture who are poor. But there, if there were no shame around having an abortion, if we didn't tell that story of, of, and, and shame people, then the one in three women in this room, and there were over 100 people in the room, those women would be happy to tell their story. Ah, uh, right. But right. not a single woman has said, oh, I'm raising my hand and that's my story. And I was in an incredibly progressive, uh, very active reprodu in reproductive rights congregation. Mm -hmm. And so um, this issue of passing laws like SB8, they get legs because silence 
we, sh- yes, there's a culture of silence around this. And at Just Texas, we are asking congregations to join us in creating a movement to eradicate the shame, judgment, and stigma around our reproductive lives, because mm-hmm. every single human has a reproductive story. And that's a story we don't tell. And as communities of faith, I think it's really important to realize that those decisions that we make as humans in our reproductive life are always intertwined, inexplicably intertwined with how we see ourselves in relationship to the divine Mm -hmm. and to our faith community. So our faith story, our journey of faith, our story of faith is intertwined with our reproductive story. And so our reproductive freedom congregation uh, movement is a way in which we are asking congregations to step into talking about this on a regular basis. And I think that um, is how we get to the person in the pew who's saying it's not right or left, but it isn't. It is, it is, we all have those stories and how do we create the space where we can share those stories and learn from each other Mm -hmm. and also be able to live into our full selves. You know, you, you mentioned the ability for those stories to be told moves us, changes us, allows us to consider other points of view that are being silenced right now. And, you know, I, I'm taken by my partner, Rabbi Nancy Kasten, whom you know, um, in Faith Commons. You know, she, as part of the Reformed Jewish tradition, is an advocate for reproductive rights of women and uh, in Jewish tradition, uh, life actually begins at birth, not at conception. And that's a deeply held religious view uh, that is uh, rarely shared in Christian uh, churches today. Uh, and there are all sorts of reasons for that, but I, that's not where I was going with this. W- what Nancy likes to say is, why should it be only women who are speaking and advocating for reproductive rights? Uh, We have, uh, of course, uh, you know, white people need to be allies along with people of color on the issue of racism. Straight people need to be allies along with LGBTQ persons on issues of uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. And men need to be allies with women on matters of reproductive rights. But you don't see men organizing themselves or becoming deeply involved in this. This seems to be a woman's fight over and over again, isn't it? Yes, and and you are so right. We need allies, but I think we also need to understand we're all reproductive beings. So men organizing around that, I mean, we're we're in this together in the full sense of the word, right? We're in this together. Um, and, and so, yes, I think it is so important for men to, to embrace their own story of their reproductive life, Mm -hmm. uh, so that they can begin to understand. So you can begin to understand that it is not just a women's issue. It is a human issue. You mean men are responsible (laughs) for reproduction? I thought that was amazing, really right? something women uh, do, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, but I think that that really is something that we, we need to keep raising. And that is that uh, if, if you want to 
reduce unwanted pregnancies, men could be actually responsible about their sexuality and their sexual lives too. Yes. And uh, it, it, this is not just about women uh, who make choices that lead them to that. Those choices are being made by men as well. Yes, they are. And, and choices and decisions, both of which I think are important here. And I see a distinction between those two words, but um, we as humans make those decisions and choices together. And, and sometimes, you know, we talk about, sometimes we, we engage in activity and sex without choice and that's problematic as well. But, but I think, yes, this is an issue that does affect all of us. Uh, and, and bills like SB8, um, we can't separate out and say, okay, well, that's just women. That affects the women being able and having the ability to control their reproductive life uh, affects all of us in right. a deep way. Because right. when women can make the decision about when to have children, it allows them to also make the decisions about how to be uh, uh, flourishing, how to make the most of themselves and do the most for the world, right? And when we cut off that choice, right, we're hurting all of us. Right, right. So in, in the few minutes we have remaining, uh, one of the things we want to talk about in all of these conversations I'm having in the good politics uh, time that we have here is how do people in the pew get involved? How do they become advocates in a way that uh, operates in good faith, you might say? Uh, so uh, good faith politics, there can be bad faith politics too, I would say. So, uh, so what would you say to people in the pew uh, who are not used to being engaged in public life. Uh, what would you say about how to take first steps in becoming uh, more engaged? Well, I would say everyone who listens to your podcast is taking a very good first step in how to become engaged. Uh, I think finding a place and, and, an, and an issue that is personal for you and, and, and there are many, right? And, and finding an organization that lifts up that issue and, and I asking, how can I be involved? What can I do? You might even get hired. You could even get hired. You could even get hired. Um, I, I, and, I, and I say, you can take baby steps. You know, um, there are small ways. There's some phone calls you could make. There's um, you know, meetings and talking. And, and, and I guess that's the most important thing is for people to look at the six feet around them and say, this is an important issue to me and be willing to have those conversations with those who are the closest to you first. Those are the first steps in speaking out about what's important to you. Terrific. Yeah. Well, Sonia, thank you for the work that you do with Texas Freedom Network and with the faith community uh, for the journey of your own life, your faith life, your personal life, and the way it has interacted with your public advocacy, too. We're grateful for all that work. Look forward thank to you. being with you in the future. Thank you, George. It's been wonderful to be here with you today. Okay, take care. 
Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2021 by Faith Commons.